Well, what a start to the year. Hey, it's just been, uh, it's just been full on and it's only, what is it, March still. My goodness. It's been really exciting and uh, uh, the, the challenge is to grow. And I want you to understand that because if you get it this side, you know, you put it to good use. This is a special year for us. This is about growth, not only as a church, but as an individual, as a family, as, you know, together. This is about, you know, in 12 months' time, we won't know ourselves. Now, the, the challenge with that is that that's challenging. That to grow means that we're going to have to stretch. It means we're going to have to go beyond where we are now, grow beyond where we are. And, you know, that's always a challenge but we have to say yes. yes. We continue to say yes. We continue to grow. I tell you, the generations will be blessed because of what you've done. This is our opportunity this year. There's no question about it. And, you know, I want you to just grab a hold of everything God's got for you. And, and um, wow, what an opportunity. I preached last Sunday night a, a message about building a mature family. Who was here? Sunday night, good, okay, because I'm going to repeat uh, the first part of that and then continue on with part two um, of this message, because you know, when you build a, a strong, mature family, you build a strong, mature church. Yeah. Who you are is who the church is. Yeah. Who you become is how effective the church is will be. No two ways about it. And so it's important that we, we focus upon um, the parallel that run together the family, the church, and the individual family, each one of us. I want to have a look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15 to 21. Ephesians 3, it says here, it says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often said, uh, told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Who's up for a new body? <laughs> hey, I'm in for that. I've got to go in next month and have an operation and uh, get a, a, a battery change. Uh, I've got a pacemaker. I've got to go. They're going to change the battery. I said, well, do the oil and water while you're there. <laughs> Let's get it all done at once. 
I'm ready for a new body. I think I've punished this little puppy for long enough. But it's important to know that, you know, there is a power, a resurrected power of Jesus Christ that is available to his body, who is you. That that same power rose Christ Jesus from the dead, the Bible tells us, dwells in us. I wonder if we're tapping into that new DNA. I wonder if we're allowing that new DNA to begin to overtake wherever we are. The first point last Sunday night I'll just mention was one big family in verse 15. It says all of us at the beginning of verse 15 and it paints a picture that, you know, we're not just attending a church every so often but we're actually a part of the family of God. Part of the family of God. I believe without a shadow of a doubt you're not here by accident. That you were called to this place by the Spirit of God. Whether you know that or not, I believe that. You are part of a family. And I love the way Paul is instructing them how to build the church and at the same time he relates to them as brothers and sisters. This one big family. It makes it corporate and personal at the same time. The second point we spoke on last week was to raise a standard or to raise the bar in verse 16. Paul's, you know, um, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And we have to understand that in, in, this, in this time in history, the church was being developed. The church was, uh, you know, the teachings of Jesus Christ were being put into a framework called the way or, or called the church, and these guys were in charge of that. It was brand new. It was a message that this world had not heard before. There are a lot of religions, but nothing like the teachings of Jesus Christ. Many of the other were just religious. But when Jesus came, he raised the bar or he raised the standard. They'd never seen anything like it. And his followers were defined by the way they lived his teachings. Not by what they called themselves, but how they lived the teachings of Christ throughout their lives. It's the same with our family, you know, as believers. You know, we need to raise the bar. We need to set a standard in our families. We are not the world. It might be okay for the world to behave certain ways, but it's not for a believer's family. That's just the way it is. Why is that? Are we better than anyone else? No, no, but we're building for generations something that's going to be mature and strong and will last. So we raise the bar. We raise the standard. Thirdly, Sunday night, I spoke about iron sharps iron, verse 17. And, you know, Paul puts himself out there. I, I, this, is, this is pretty gutsy, this statement. 
He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What he's saying is that we're a family. And right throughout the family, there's different strengths in all of us. And he's saying, look around. Keep your eyes. Watch those who model the teachings of Jesus, not only in their own life, but in their family structures, in their marriage, in their raising their kids. Look around. Find those who do it well. Invite them to lunch. How do you do that? I spoke last week about Phil and Joe up the back there. And I said, you want to learn how to do marriage, take those people to dinner. I mean, Joe's put up with Phil for decades and she's still there. <laughs> you know, she's still smiling. That girl could teach you something. You, want to, you know, want to raise a good family. I spoke last week about, you know, um, Wes and Joe Palmer. You know, their kids. Find out how they do it. Take them to lunch. Take them to dinner. Invite them over. Say, how do you do that? I've got young children. I want them to grow up in the ways of God. I've seen your household. You're an example to me. Show me how to do it. Now, why do we do that? Because we're family. Family can do that. Family care for each other's interests. Iron sharpens iron. Okay? It's not shame that I ask you for help. It's wisdom. Amen? Absolutely. You can't do that in your street, folks. You can't go down your street, knock on the doors and say, you know, teach me how to do family or, or teach me how to do a marriage well or, or teach me how to, you know, have a, a, a relationship, a connection with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. But it does here. And not only, not only is the opportunity there, but Paul encourages us to do that. Look around. See those who do it well. You won't find anyone perfect. We know that. But we have strengths that we do well. And iron sharpens iron and take every advantage of that. The fourth one as we begin today is to have an open heart. In verse 15 again, it says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. See, God will make clear to you if you've got an open heart. If you're prepared to say, listen, I don't know it all. I'm keen to learn. I want to know how to do it well. You've got to have an open heart. And if you take a look at church history, you know there's been incredible changes over the centuries. If you look at it in this context here, you see that they were bound up by religion. Before Jesus came, it was all about, you know, living up to the law. You had to live up to the law. Didn't matter if, if your heart was evil. As long as you ticked the boxes and you did it according to the law, well, you know, you were okay. But the teachings of Jesus smashed all of that. Just broke all that down. You remember the woman that was caught in adultery. The law said stoner, put her to death. Jesus had a different way of dealing with it. So go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. 
the Samaritan woman. Samaritans were dogs to the Jews. And yet Jesus talks to this woman, opens up her heart. The whole city gives their life to God. He healed on the Sabbath, which was unlawful because healing was work. You weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. But the man with the withered hand was healed on that day, and they were in an uproar about that. We would celebrate today, amen? We would celebrate in this house because of the teachings of Jesus. One sacrifice for all mankind. You've got to know that those sacrificial lambs and turtle doves and all of those things that they sacrificed were half of the church's economy. So you could do what you like during the week and then rock up on Sunday and buy a lamb, put him on the altar and say, sorry, lambs, you've had a bad week. Jesus came and the turtle doves rejoiced. <laughs> they flourished throughout the land. No longer a sacrifice. The sacrifice had been made. You've got to understand their mindset, right? This was totally foreign to what they were used to. They had to have an open heart to receive it. Had to have an open heart to follow the ways of, of Christ that it wasn't about the law, it wasn't about ticking the boxes. It was about a repentant heart. That's what God was interested in. Jesus reduced all the commandments to this in Mark 12, 30, 31. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater, oh, no commandments greater than these. And see, this is how we should be defined as a church family, a place where you are loved and forgiven. A safe place to come to church. A safe place where you won't be judged for who you were, but celebrated for who you've become. That's the house of God. That's the family of God. It's the same as in our families. Our homes should be safe places where our children can fail, where parents can fail, but be loved back to wholeness in Christ. We don't condone disobedience, but we always celebrate repentance. Always celebrate repentance, but you've got to keep an open heart. See, when we, when, when we step back into, you know, um, the legalism, when we step back into a religious practice, we lose the very essence of Christ, the heart of Christ in what we do. The fifth point is the narrow door. And in verse 18, it says this. It says, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, even though Paul was in prison, 
He was fully aware of the constant tension that was happening in the churches that were under his care. The early church had um, constant temptations. The tendency to swerve to the right and end up in legalism. And the tendency to swerve to the left and end up in lawlessness. And it's the same for us today. You know, we can get so bound up by religion that we're, we're, we're just not effective. Or we can come so under, you know, grace is sufficient and, and doesn't matter what I do or how I live, the grace of God will cover it. And, you know, both don't yield the harvest that Christ wants for your life. It says the enemies of the cross of Christ. You've got to understand, that was, he wasn't talking about the world. He was talking about the church. They were not the enemies of Christ. In fact, they probably loved Jesus. But they were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen to me, this is very important. You've got to catch this. The cross represents sacrifice, and nobody likes sacrifice. We love Jesus, but not the cross. Yet you can't separate the two. If you're going to mature, if you're going to grow, the cross is going to be very important to our maturity. You with me? You happy? It's the truth. We love Jesus. I love Jesus with, with, with my whole heart. But I see it in church this way, that I am a Christian, that I love Jesus, I love coming to church. But to share the gospel with the lost is asking a little bit too much for me. It's a cross too far. You with me? Matthew 16, 24, Jesus taught... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Take up their sacrifice and follow me. Put down their, you know, flesh and follow the Spirit of Christ. See, because of my love for God, I'll sacrifice anything. I'll sacrifice anything. And it's the same for our families. Because we love our spouse, because we love our kids, we will sacrifice anything. You know, you, if you talk to a brand new parent, brand new parent, whereas a few months ago they were just living for themselves, now they've got their world has been taken over. Who knows what I'm talking about? As soon as you have a child, you no longer exist. You no longer have an identity. Is that true? Come to church, everyone walks up, you would know what that's like, don't you? You come to church, everyone goes, oh, the baby. <laughs> you got two parents there standing there. We, we did this. Nobody cares. It's the baby. Everybody wants, is that true? It's true. Now, we're not nasty or horrible people. It's just that you're not important now. You've done your job and, you know, the baby. We would do anything for our children. Anything. I've seen parents sacrifice 
whatever for their kids. And it's right. It's a good thing. It's what we do. <laughs> but are we prepared to sacrifice whatever it takes to build a strong and mature environment for them to flourish? See, quite often we'll sacrifice and do anything for our kids. Financially buy them, you know, um, get them into a good school, get them into whatever we can so that our kids will grow, that our kids will flourish. But I'm talking about the emotional stability in the home. Creating that godly environment in the home to be bold enough, mature enough to be able to say, you know what, that attitude I have is unhealthy for this environment that I want to build my kids in. Are we prepared to take that, that attitude or that behavior or that cultural difference and nail it to the cross? To take it to the cross and sacrifice that thing for the betterment of my family. That's a challenge, isn't it? My selfishness. Am I prepared to sacrifice that, to nail that to the cross? Jesus explains it this way, Luke 13, 24. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. What's he saying? We've got to lose weight. We're too big for the door, people. We've got to get rid of some stuff so we can fit through the door. That attitude's got to go, that selfishness. You know, that, that, that attitude. I've got so many of mine coming through my head right now. It's like, all right, enough, enough. I get it. I'm reading it. But here's the thing. We get to do that. We get to identify in ourselves what is unhealthy and nail that thing to the cross because of the love we have for our families. Number six is this. There's a big picture, people. I made that up. The big picture, people, verse 20. It says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 19, it, you know, it talks about the small picture people. The small ones whose God is their stomach and everything temporal. What's in it for me? Constantly sweating on the small stuff and missing the big picture. And we see this in our, in our church family. Believers get sidetracked by small issues. Small issues. Trivial stuff. And never grow past that. And it's so sad because God has so much more for them. But this small issue 
rendered them, you know, full stop. We are a church that's making a difference. We're growing as a church. We're reaching out into the community. Soon at Gilston, we'll be reaching families. Lives will be changed. Put a stake in the ground that the kingdom of God dwells here. Effective right throughout that whole region. But only for the big picture people to get that. Only the big picture people see that's important. The small picture people are still worried about me, myself, today. What's, what can I do? What can... We've got to lift our eyes. See the bigger picture. You know, we started highways 24 years ago next month, April 9. 24 years. We started with a dozen people and a few kids. And uh, today we affect thousands of people, thousands, not only in, in Australia, but, but more so in, in India, more thousands in India. And, you know, we could have leveled off in the old hall at $7 an hour. Can you believe that? $7 an hour. No electricity bills, no nothing. I mean, no, no air conditioning, but, you know. $7 an hour, we could have settled there with the faithful few, did church every Sunday. No, we can't be small picture people. We've got to be big picture people. And I've watched people over 24 years get caught up with small stuff. Caught up with small stuff. And you know what? The devil applauds. The devil celebrates. Small stuff. That's not who we are. That's not who he's called us to be. We're big picture people. Look at verse 20 again. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think for one minute when the Lord returns that, the, that those small issues will have any value whatsoever? When Christ returns, all the small stuff will be like vapour that just disappears. It's the big picture we've got to get a hold of. Families flourish if they focus on the big picture. You just do. You know, I put a challenge out last week. I put a challenge out last week. You know, every people tell me that, that every time they're sitting under the word, they, they get something. Is that fair? Like, is that you? You get some, just one thing. You just get one thing for your week. It's like people say to me, you've been reading my mail. You know, I just needed to hear that today because this was happening and that was perfect for me. i got no idea. And they go away and they're taller. And there's something of strength and maturity that's been built into their fiber. And something of a spiritual dimension is unleashed in their life. That happens under the Word of God and in the praise and the worship and the presence of God. Amen. Who's felt that, honestly? You bet. My challenge. 
This year we're going to grow. My challenge this year is come to church every week. Come to church every week. Be big picture people. Not every service, just one service. But come every week. Come and get one more brick to build. One more brick to build. One more brick to build. And by the end of this year, you're going to build something of worth. Not only your family, but the highway family. I'm telling you. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got, I've got this on that. I've got that on that. So I've got... We have multiple services for that reason. You got something on. If the surf's pumping at Kira, come to the night service. If you got to go to lunch with Aunt Flo and her bung leg, come to the 8.30 and pray for Flo's leg after lunch. You with me? The thing is, you can do it. If you focus small picture on the temporal and what, what it's all about now, what, what's, you, you know, you'll lose it. You won't grow. But if you focus on the big picture, just... You can do it. If you, if you set your calendar, I know families work. I know mum and dad's work these days and, and very hard. And come Saturday, there's the sport for the kids and there's, there's all that stuff going on. Sunday's the only day you can mow the lawn. Honestly, I get that. But we could make it one service. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, by the end of this year, you won't know yourself. Your marriage will be better. Your family will be better. Your kids will be saner. Seriously. And you'll be living with purpose. Now, it's not church that does that. We know that. But it's the Spirit of God that touches your life when you're here, that lifts your eyes to bigger things. And the world isn't so small anymore. Amen. Who's with me? Let me pray for you. Father, I, I just, I pray, Father, by your spirit that we'll get this. That we will get this, Lord. That you've called us for much bigger than where we are today. That you have greater plans and purpose for our life. Every single individual is valuable to you. We have a destiny, Father. We are commissioned to change the world. And we do that together. We do that as family and as families that are strong and mature in who we are and what we believe. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's praise the Lord.